What's up, folks? Welcome back to Thoughts from the Shade. We'll recap the Monday Night Football debacle in Dallas, give our thoughts on the broadcasts and officiating thus far, and check in around the rest of the NFL, including, of course, Wentz Watch. We'll run through Week 4 in college football, and I'll give my latest evaluation of Penn State as they move into the remainder of Big Ten play. I'll close this out with a bonus Fade the Shade pick for this Thursday night as we look forward to another week on the gridiron. Don't forget this episode is brought to you by Shamrock Sun. If you're tired of running out of sunscreen too soon, they've got you covered. Go to shamrocksun.com and enter promo code SHADE in all caps when you're ready to pull the trigger on one of their big-ass bottles of sunscreen. Now strap in. Here's episode 10 of Thoughts from the Shade. Might as well dive right in. Here we are. Episode 10. We made it to double digits, Bomb. Uh, congrats. Thanks for showing up. And we'll just get... Yeah, man. We, we, we made it to double-digit episodes before Sirianni made it to double-digit rushes in, a, in an away game on, on the road in Dallas on Monday Night Football. How about that? Good God. Yeah, I was going to say, we'll, we'll just get it right into... A team that didn't show up on Monday Night Football, Philadelphia Eagles, got absolutely walloped. Should have been way worse than 20 points. But we saw what transpired. It was disgusting. There's a lot to get to, a lot to touch on. I actually went back through group chat text messages to kind of see what what we were griping about last night in, in prep for the show. So. I'll send it over to you, Bob. I don't know where you want to start. If you have any opening monologue on the state of this team after a complete and utter embarrassment Monday night. Yeah, I'll, I'll get to the team. But first, I just got to say, how about them Cowboys, baby? You heard it here first from your favorite handicapper. He said it was going to be a wrap. I think the exact quote last week was 20 points. So there you have it, folks. There's your pick. You know, I'm not rooting for the Cowboys, but if you're, if you're going to lose, let's make a little money. Last night, I mean, that was the, the most disgusting, gutless performance I've seen from a team in quite some time. You know, I was looking at Nick Sirianni on the sideline. Is it me, or does this guy look like he'd be better suited to coach, like, Roman Catholic? Like, I'm looking at the guy. He looks like he'd look great in that purple and black. He looks absolutely pathetic the on whole the sidelines. The whole staff kind of looks... Pathetic, and I know we're high on Gannon, and obviously that that didn't shake out positively last night. But the whole staff, they're all 40 or late 30s. They look like young kids. They they look like a high school staff, honestly. Yeah, I mean, he looks like he'd be, you know, just just happy as can be coaching a 7-4 and four Roman Catholic team that gets routed by LaSalle in the prep every single year. So maybe that's what they are in the NFC East. I don't know. Uh, the other thought I had was during the week, you know, he's pumping these T-shirts. And um, if he's not, you know, I'm looking at other career paths for Nick Sirianni. If he doesn't coach Roman, I think he'd do a hell of a job getting with the situation, getting with Paulie D, getting with Vinny, and maybe running that that uh, that Shore store, you know, the store that emblazons the uh, custom T-shirts. Maybe he can get, like, Dak Prescott was here on a pair of booty shorts and wear them around. Who was the manager at the at the the shore store? Was the guy's name Danny? That skinny Danny. guy that owned, that owned the house in the store. Yeah, let's call up Danny. Maybe we can get him on the horn and find uh find the new gig for Sirianni. It wasn't it it was all around just just so bad. Um, I think the toughest thing for me was to see how bad Jalen Hurts struggled last night. Um, first drive, Eagles go down the field looking to piece something together. And has has Rager open on a deep ball in the end zone, kind of between he's behind the corner and the safety's not there yet, and the ball's just underthrown. Um, obviously, the deep ball hasn't hasn't been hurt strength, and he missed that one there. Defense turned it around and, and made a play on Dak in the end zone to score a touchdown and even the game. But even the rest of the night, uh, I mean, he was under a lot of pressure. Offensive line was garbage last night. Uh, but through the pick six, 
um, in the second half. Um, the guy's name is slipping me right now. The the corner on the Cowboys that was from Bama as well. Diggs. But Diggs, yeah, Trayvon Diggs. He had a really nice game. Um, and then a number of other just throws that he could have made. Um, I mean, there weren't many where, where he had a clean pocket and a clean look, but there were some throws that he should have made. Uh, specifically, I remember one to Goddard. Uh, I think it was the play before the pick six, maybe. But didn't look good. Uh, I'll, I'll give him a little bit of credit just for the fact that I don't know how you continue to play in that game. I don't know how you don't walk off the field. I think I was texting you during the game when the Eagles got the ball back in the fourth quarter with maybe like four minutes left. And I said, can we just come out in the victory formation and kneel it three times and then punt it? Like we need to just end this. That was just disgusting altogether. Um, and I don't know where we go from here. I mean, it can't get much worse uh, for Hertz. That was, that was a tough, tough game. Uh, but at the same time, I wasn't high on Dallas's defense, so I don't know what we got with Hertz, but we're gonna we're gonna figure it out. And I kind of feel like that was the objective of this season, uh, even if we were. Well, a you know, before before we start opining on the season, I mean, what, let's let's get to the game, right? So Hertz, you mentioned it; he's got the shot to Rager. Is it that he can't reach these guys on the deep ball, or does he throw it too late? Because like it seems like every time there's a guy open. On a deep ball, he's throwing it to like the goal line, which really never occurs on a deep shot, right? You normally want to get it in the hands of the guy and let him run into the end zone. It's like he's waiting for them to get to like the 10 or the five or the goal line and just chucking up like a Drew Brees duck. Like, what is it? What's your, what's your take? Something's not right, whether it's late uh, or whether he's just hesitant and, and not confident. But typically on successful deep balls, you'll see the quarterback throw the ball before the receiver is even open and behind the corner. And I don't think that's what we're seeing right now. I I don't know if he has a weak arm. I mean, I guess he does, but like he can definitely throw it further than he did on that play to Rager last night. So I'm not really sure what the issue is. Uh, He certainly didn't look confident last night and I didn't see much of the San Francisco game, but it sounds like that was the case in week two as well. So I think it's just a, a confidence and a timing thing. It's It's got to be hard as a young quarterback to try to throw guys open, right? Like he was at Oklahoma, he was at Alabama, throwing to five-star guys that are wide open all the time. And now in the league, when you get to the show, you got to throw guys open. And that's hard to do. It's an adjustment to make for rookie quarterbacks and guys coming out of college. And I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be confident to throw a ball before my receiver gets open, but that's what, that's what the well, especially Rager, do. right? Yeah. Especially, Rager. especially him. He, he did stay in bounds on that one though. So it would have, would have probably been a nice score, but yeah, it just looks like a timing and, and confidence thing right now for Hertz. Yeah, I, I mean, I can't really kill kill Hurts too bad. Um, he didn't play well. He looked rattled. But you, you got to ask yourself, like, the, what was that game plan? I mean, I, I get you get down early, but then it's 7-7. You get the defensive score. It's, like, really tough to get blown out when you get a defensive score, by the way. Like, that is, like, incredible. Um, but how do you – what was it, three runs to run, with running backs? I know they yeah, had my- design runs with Rager – or with my- uh, Hurts. Miles Sanders had two carries for roughly 30 yards, actually two pretty good runs. And I think Gainwell had one carry in the fourth quarter. So if you assume, if, if the knock on Hurts is, oh, we don't think he can throw, oh, we don't think he can hit a deep ball, oh, we don't think he can, he can uh, you know, throw a guy open. Why is it that your running backs get a total of three runs to support a quarterback who doesn't appear like he could win an elite 11, elite 11 competition against 16-year-olds? Can someone explain that game plan to me? It was bad. I don't I don't know either, especially after the game Sirianni was talking about keeping up with Dallas and that kind of strategy there. But we clearly don't have the offense to run and gun with with Dak and the Cowboys. Keeping up with Dallas. How about like the first 15 scripted? Like what where was what was that? 
Yeah, like, we was don't. Was it just the deep shot? Was that it? And Sirianni's like, "That's I'm out of tricks. What do we do next?" Yeah, we don't even don't even have that. It, it, they look severely underprepared uh, for sure. Two weeks in a row uh, on offense, but he talked about keeping up. Like when you see the way your defense played the first few series, the whole objective should be to sustain drives, chew clock, let the keep defense the rest. Even if you can't get a field goal or a score, move the ball and pin them back. And the one time that they did it, granted it was through an interception, the Eagles made a play. So I didn't get it. And even to start the second half, Eagles are down 20-7. to It should have been 35-0 at halftime. Yep. No question. Should have been 35-zip. And you're down 20-7. to You're getting the ball. If you're in that locker room at halftime – you've got to be looking up to the skies and, and praising the high heavens that you're in this football game. You make one drive, score a touchdown 2014, defense rested at halftime. It's a whole different ball game. But they just came out slinging again when they – I mean, I guess it's hard to say they had success on the ground, but the two two runs that Sanders got were good. I, I just don't understand how you can abandon the run – when you're down 20 to seven with an entire half of football left. Gee, they didn't even abandon the run. They just they didn't never, run. Yeah, they never there was went no to abandonment. The, they never went to the run, which is so bizarre and so bad, like you said, in a situation where where your quarterback is struggling and you need to give him some relief because they were getting a lot of pressure on too and he was getting knocked around. It just just didn't look good. The Eagles had a designed run play called for less than 10% of plays last night. Fourth lowest rate of any games in the last 15 years. And obviously some of that is quarterback uh, design runs. But, I mean, I just don't understand how you have a quarterback that's mobile. You have two running backs who appear to be game breakers. And you're not designing a passing game around something like RPO-related. Where you get that little, you get the ball in the belly. You either, you know, tuck it, tuck it in there, let the running back go. You pull it or go around the end, or you pull it out and flip it to your tight end in the flat, who's wide open. It's it's amazing that they just don't don't run that play more. They they don't run it at all. They do nothing off of the run. Well, I think we saw a little bit of that. They tried to get to it in the game, but every time they did, they got an illegal man downfield. <laughs> On the offensive line. You had Andre Dillard 15 yards down the field before Hertz gets rid of the ball. So, granted, it's an option. He's just happy to be out there. Hopefully he got a little pizza after the game, maybe a, a ice cream cone. He's happy to be out there. I'm sure he is. But it's clear to see why they can't go to that more because they can't execute it. There must have been two or three illegal man downfield penalties on the birds when they when they tried to do what you just said. With the RPO, a lot of work. Well, that's a there. coaching issue. Absolutely, not prepared to to execute the plays that work to your player's strengths. That's certainly a coaching issue. And you know, you know what else is a coaching issue? I was going to yeah. go penalties. Well, yeah, we'll 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 talk penalties. But you you throw the ball around the the yard to the extent that they did, and Jalen Rager had eight targets, and Quez Watkins had two. I mean, he was the only guy who made a play. He did make a really nice play on that one ball where they, I don't know if they call it interference or holding on the corner, but good old Quez went up and made a play. And I feel like he's made most, a lot, a lot of, he's made a big play every week. And he should certainly be a factor in the game plan. But instead, our, our top targeted guy is Jalen Rager, who, Every punt return runs backwards, and we get a holding penalty anyway. But speaking of penalties, franchise record through three games for the Birds, all penalties. I believe it's 37. I think 35 were accepted, so two were declined. Forget what the number was last night, maybe 11 or 13 or 15. Someone in there. in the ballpark. But – it's Derek Barnett jumping off sides. I'll tell you the one penalty I did like was after the C.D. Lamb grab and it's first and goal at the half-yard line, Javon Hargrave roughs one of the linemen up on Dallas. That, that's, 
that's a great time to take that penalty. Somebody texted us. Pick your spot. And yeah, they can't get any closer to the goal line. It was that was a good one. Um, but yeah, the, the RPO, the legal man downfield, Barnett jumping off sides. Uh, there was some PI call on Slay early in the game that kind of seemed ticky tacky. Like, what is PI even anymore? Like, if if the guy is standing in front of you and the only way to get to the ball is to go through him, do you just have to let him catch the ball and then tackle him? Like, how are you supposed to defend that? Well, he's big play Slay. You know, I thought big play Slay would pick a ball or break up that PBU, a little breakup. He's a bum. He Nelson's stinks. a bum. And, and they they fly around in these single-digit numbers as if it's their Superman cape from fucking college. These guys stink. Yeah, Slay stinks. The other play that really bothered me with him was when Zeke caught that little swing pass or out route on, like, the two-yard line in the first quarter, I think it was. And he tackled him short. But, Christ, Slay could could have lit up a Marlboro and smoked a fucking cigarette just watching Ezekiel Elliott stand there. If he would have got up on him, he could have picked it and took it to the house. He's just standing there watching him. And then they bring him down. And then even on the play, I think it was the play that made it 34-14, fourth and goal, and Dak scrambles. Slay's looking at Dak when there's already a guy shadowing Dak, and the the receiver slips right behind him for a touchdown. So, yeah, big play Slay had a really nice night. I mean, obviously all around, nobody had a good night. That's not true. I like this new punter. Well, he, even he didn't have a good night last night. He was hitting bombs in, in week one, and I don't know about week two, but he, he didn't hit them very far last night. Yeah, but that's because of the jumbotron. I mean, you can't put that on him. That's true. It's a, that's a visual distraction. You can't let it fly with that up there. But, my gosh, so so bad. Um, Mike McCarthy is, is still so bad. Can we talk <laughs> about that for a second? Go, um, go on. Not only the play that we just talked about, it, it ended up working out. 27-14, there's probably 10 minutes left. And they had fourth and goal from the two or three. And they, they did score on the play where, where Slay lost the guy. But I'm sitting there thinking, if I watch the Eagles offense for three and a half quarters through that game, I'm kicking the field goal and making them score two touchdowns and two extra points to beat me. But he went for it. They got it. Whatever. The other thing that that guy's an idiot for, end of the first half, the Eagles have the ball. I think they had second and 30 and third and 30, and the clock's ticking away. And McCarthy keeps all three timeouts. Eagles run the clock down, punt it, and it goes to halftime. Like, that's an opportunity right there for Dallas to stick a fork in us before the half. The best part of that entire thing was the visual of him standing next to the ref. Like, I think the ref initiated that encounter. Like, he was like, oh, let me go stand by Dallas's head coach because the, the clock is ticking and they have these timeouts that they're going to use. Walked over and McCarthy's like, actually, on second thought, no thanks. Like, let it tick down. Yeah, I think, I think that'll ultimately be what, what holds back Dallas at some point will be the idiocy of that guy. And granted, I still don't think that that their defense is great, but they ran the ball well last night. They didn't have to do much. They they pounded us on the ground, and when we stacked the box, they did a play-action rollout and hit a tight end for 15 or 20 yards every time. That's all they had to do. Dallas, if Dallas spent the week game planning or didn't spend the week game planning and brought 12 plays to that game last night, would have been the same exact result. It was completely pathetic. What did we spend the week doing? Like, because my understanding coming into the season was that the Eagles, like, win, win practices. What the hell did we do all week? Were we just printing off T-shirts? They must have been. But, hey, at least they, they went 4-0 in practice in August. That's They were keeping tabs on that. But Has uh, anyone heard from Jalen Hurts' landlord? Is he late on a rent payment? Where does he live? Does he live in New York? I'm assuming the CDC moratorium is still in, in effect up there. I mean, this guy hasn't paid rent in two weeks. He's talking about flushing his shit down the toilet after the game. I mean, how can you how can you do that in a place you don't pay rent for? I don't understand. No, that was that was such poor timing for for ESPN to throw that quote up too about the rent being due every day. And I don't know. I 
I get it. I guess I, I like the the mentality behind it or whatever. But you, you obviously have to back it up. And they they put that quote up on the screen in the broadcast. And two plays later, he throws the pick on the the shot to Rager. Can we talk about the broadcast? Yeah, it was terrible. I, I honestly the the entire. Are we done with the game? We're done with the game. Let's We're get into with, the broadcast. I I had an issue with the broadcasting Sunday night. I had an issue with the broadcasting. Last night, we'll start with last night since we're already talking about that game. The first guy I have a bone to pick with is Lewis Riddick. Now, every asshole in Philadelphia that has no clue what's going on wanted this guy to come in and replace Howie Roseman. Now, he's on Monday Night Football talking about Ezekiel Elliott running the football. And early in the game, Dallas is driving. They're grinding. They're chewing a sub. Zeke's getting eight a pop. Tony Pollard's getting eight a pop. And Lewis Riddick's talking, oh, all these people that think that Zeke isn't the same guy that he was three or four years ago and that he's his job's up for grabs with Tony Pollard. They ought to think again. So he's going on and on about that. And then maybe into the second quarter, Zeke's running the ball, taking hits and everything, and Lewis Riddick goes, yeah, well, he's taking a lot of these hits, and he's just not the same guy that he was three or four years ago. Like, we're, we're on a podcast, and I listen to this podcast back, and, and I have blips. I'm not the greatest speaker. But this guy's on ESPN, counting his millions. All these dickheads in Philadelphia want him to be the GM and replace Howie Roseman. And this guy can't get his story straight on national TV. It's a freaking joke. I couldn't agree more. You know, my, the highlight of the broadcast for me was when they brought in John Perry on the uh, on the review at the goal line, and, and I'm 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 literally listening to to him talk, and like he's talking about, oh well, if you piece it together, I feel as if this is a touchdown. When is that the standard for reviewing a freaking call on the field? I mean, I, I just can't. The only guy that should be doing reviews across every single fucking network is Pereira. He's the only guy I trust. Parry stinks. The guy on NBC stinks. The guy on CBS stinks. They all stink. I want Pereira across every single NFL game, across every single college game. He's the only guy I trust. Yeah, Pereira always seems to get it right. And that thing about piecing it together, like – is the ref standing down there looking in that little booth trying to piece it together, or is he just going to see what he sees and call, call it what it is? Now, I don't know if they got the call right, right? But on the first plunge or dive for Dak on that play, he, he, you didn't see the ball, the ball cross the pylon. And then he kind of got stood up and pushed back, and then he reached over. And the, another issue with the broadcast last night, no replays on a lot of these plays. Zero. On, that play, on that play specifically, no audio on the replay, so you couldn't hear when the whistle was blown. But, again, pe- piecing it together. that That's dog shit. It's not piecing it together. We all have two eyes. You see what you see, and you make the call. You can't, you can't be in there, well, if this happened and, well, he was under the pile. Where's the ball? Just tell me I where see, the ball I is. I see in, the, in this frame we have a fan in the first row who ha- appears to have 10 ounces of beer left. And in the next frame, he's got eight ounces of beer left, and here's where the ball is in relation to his knee. Like, what are we talking about? And then later in the game, you have a ref on the freaking sideline, uh, five feet away, ten feet away, whatever it is, from a guy who goes up in the air, gets one foot down, and falls out of bounds like ten yards later. And you get John Parry coming back on, being the apologist. Well, this is because of positioning. Where are his eyes? That was the worst call I've ever seen. And you got Sirianni trying to throw the flag. You got Dallas. And they're talking about Dallas as if they're the only team who ever practices, like, going hurry up in a situation where you catch, like, a, a call. They're like, oh, they practice this. They're going to get everybody to the line here. I mean, that was some pathetic broadcasting. And don't get me started on Greasy. It, it was pathetic. That play, to, I think it was to Wilson. It was a deep ball on, on the sideline. But that ref was – it was right in front of his face. And I'm watching the game with my 60-year-old dad who's on a couch. Guy, the guy can't see three feet in front of him, and he goes, that's not a catch. But they're paying this guy to stand five feet from him, and he can't see that there was not 
two feet in bounds and a catch. It was terrible. And we got no replays all night. We didn't get a replay on that. We didn't get replays on a lot of penalties. Granted, I'm not whatsoever blaming penalties for the reason why the no, Eagles lost. No, it doesn't affect the game. Whatsoever. It's the broader NFL product. Yeah. If you watch that Sunday night game, they pulled the same shit. That helmet-to-helmet on Devontae Adams, uh, they bring in their guy, the, the NBC guy, their, their review guy, and he starts talking about how, well, the NFL has guys that are, aren't behind the play anymore. They're actually further up the field, so he missed the shot. It's like, well, I see the guy who isn't breathing on the field, who isn't moving. I'm assuming he may have gotten knocked in the head. That one was clear as day. For all the targeting calls that they make, and they're so quick to pull the trigger on, to not throw the flag on that play was was a sin and a disgrace. But the last thing I'll, I'll say about the Eagles uh, commentary and, and our boy Lewis Riddick, I think you texted me this, but Jalen Hurts throws the pick six uh, to Diggs, and then the next series, Lewis Riddick goes, yeah, well, if I'm the Eagles here, I think you would want to try for a double move since Diggs picked that out route last drive. Maybe you get him to bite and you hit something over the top. Yeah, you're down by 50 points. We're going to run a double move. Like, Captain Obvious, hello. How are you? And you're counting that sack of cash for, for giving this second-rate analysis. It's just a disgrace. But back Do to you some- think – let me ask you something. Do you think sure. this is a strategic I, – I think this is a strategic decision by ESPN to put absolute horseshit on the broadcast because what they're doing is actually pushing people – to the Manning cast. And I think it's all part of their broader plan to try to uh, try to attract Eli or Peyton to actually be the real Monday, Monday night analyst. I only flipped that on for a couple plays last night because I was having some technical difficulties on, on normal ESPN, but yeah, I, I don't know. I might have to give that a shot next Monday full time because I mean you got. Oh no, sleep. you can't. You can't. They're not coming back till week seven. We got the horse shit and have to watch the real broadcast. Like I would have loved to have flipped over to the man, but you can't watch that while you're watching your team. No, yeah, you wanna you wanna get the full full experience, be locked in. Um, but instead, you got Steve Levy calling the game like it's uh, the NHL playoffs in 2002. Yeah, uh, Rangers with, Islanders with Riddick and Greasy, but. Whatever. And then that that NBC telecast for Sunday Night Football. I mean, great game. Another tough game to watch, though, with all the flags and whistles and stoppages. But I thought, unjustly so, it was an absolute Shanahan stroke fest. They were talking about this guy <laughs> like he was Vince Lombardi. And He's got about, a losing record! Talking about formations and sending guys in motion. They got in the red zone numerous times in the game and granted they punched it in a good amount but they ran all these gadget plays in the red zone and had to get to third and fourth and goal and then finally line up in the eye formation and hand it to sermon to get a touchdown late in the game that was the best play call of the game the guy had third and goal with the one eye formation hand it off to your power running back stuff it in not all this gimmick shit and the best part was that they took the lead with 37 seconds left and they still didn't take off enough time to get the dub. Like, and they're stroking this guy off like he's Lombardi. It's just a joke. Like, it, everything's a love fest. Just call the game. Do you remember his his exquisite play design on the quarterback sneak that Collinsworth was fawning over? I'm I'm sure I I don't remember specifically, but I'm sure I heard it. But lay it on us, please. No, I mean he, they they had like a sneak for like a first down. Like it was like fourth and one or third and one. And some sort of gadgety type looking thing pre-snap and count. Wow, man, look at this design. Oh yeah, Yushchek ran from the slot under center and took a quick snap, a fullback. It's a QB sneak. Yeah, I mean, come on, man. It every fucking play. It's just like, why don't we just call the game? And and then, I'm just so glad that they lost that game after the way they talked about Shanahan and the 49ers. What has that guy ever done? He lost in the Super Bowl with the 49ers, and he he was the offensive coordinator for the Falcons, right, when they blew the 28-3 lead. Like, yeah. And they talk about him like he's one of the greats. It's a complete joke. But Aaron Rodgers, what a treat to watch that guy. I mean, all the drama over the summer and 
all the, all the weird stuff going on in Green Bay, and 37 seconds left. You could you could go to bed, right? It's Sunday night. You're you're tired. You don't want to get up for work in the morning, so you stretch it out. You watch it. Sure as shit, the guy gets him down the field, and Crosby nails. I think it was like a 50 or 55 yarder, but guy's automatic. And, and the other thing um, I thought about with, with that game is would Matt Lafleur have a head coaching job if it wasn't for Aaron Rodgers? Well, NBC would have you believe he wouldn't have a head coaching job if it wasn't for Shanahan. Yeah, they what are they on the same coaching tree or something? And they were going through that. Oh yeah, uh, they're good friends, and Shanahan brought them up, and this and that, and you know, it's a joke. Um, they, they didn't look like friends when they shook hands after the game because now now it's coming back to me. I think Shanahan gave him a quick quick shake, and they didn't look like they exchanged words at all. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, Rodgers makes that team tick, right? It kind of shows you how incompetent uh, Mike McCarthy was. I mean, all the floor does is say, all right, throw it to Adams. Uh, <laughs> yeah, just as long as he doesn't hose it up in the playoffs again like he did last year for them. But anything else on the Eagles or Sunday night? No, not much. I mean, I think just the, the overall theme from even the primetime games, the broadcasting was atrocious. The officiating was atrocious. You know, Too many flags. That 49ers game would have been a blow, blowout had, had a lot of those calls not been made or had gone the, the Niners way. I mean, LaFleur was hot at halftime. Yeah, it, it's, it's been tough to watch with all the laundry getting thrown out there. But um, the only other notes I had for, for NFL, Chiefs lost again. Um, and shit, big ups, Andy Reid. Hope you're all right, bro. We hope you can get into Philly this week and put a smack down on our team. Um, but <laughs> that team's in last place in the AFC West. They're one and two. They probably should be 0 and three. Um, I don't know. Do the Chiefs miss the playoffs this year? I don't see that happening, but I mean, not a good start. Not a good start at all. That division, I think that, that division's a bit of fool's gold. I, I don't think the Raiders are that good. I actually think the Chargers are going to be solid for the remainder of the year. They, they, um, you know they have the, the second year QB Herbert, um, so I don't know. I mean, I think I think the uh, the Chiefs will be there at the end of the year. Now, whether they win the division or they're a wild card team, I guess that's you know TBD. Right. Yeah, I think it's the Chargers and the Chiefs in that division. I'm not high on the Raiders or Denver. I think Denver and Vegas are both three and zero. I think Carolina's three and zero. I don't. I mean, well, it's funny I, you were you were talking about the schedule like. These these teams are three and zero. They've played like nobody. And you look at like the Eagles' schedule. Last place team picking what sixth or eighth in the draft, whatever it was. We're like we're playing everybody. We got everybody. We got the Chiefs. We got you know the freaking Bucks coming in. We got the Saints. We got like every freaking team. Green Bay, I think later in the year too. It's unbelievable. Yeah, what kind of last place schedule did we get? But it wouldn't have mattered, I don't think. Um, no. Big game at four twenty-five on Sunday. Bucks, Rams. Um, Rams took it to them. They knocked Tom Brady around a little bit. Stafford looked really good. Um, I can definitely see this being a rematch come January uh, in the playoffs. And I would 100% pick the Bucks. I'll do it in January when we get there. Um, you can mark that down right now. Same shit happened last year with Green Bay. Tampa Bay got absolutely blasted by Green Bay in the regular season, came back and beat them in the NFC Championship. It's what Brady does. I, I told you before last week, there's a bump in the road, and then Brady always gets his revenge or, or you know, writes, writes that wrong uh, when it matters most. So everybody's going to be talking up the Rams and what a big win, but the Bucks are banged up, and but the Rams are impressive. So I thought that was an exciting game and, and, and development, but um, hopefully, hopefully we'll see round two come January and, and the Bucks are a little healthier. Any thoughts on the GOAT or uh, the Rams, Bob? No thoughts. Just want to remind everybody we we gave everybody that pick. You were on the uh, the Rams with the points. I was on the Rams money line, and that paid out. Yeah, we're not we're not doing too bad. I'm clawing back in college, and I think I'm one game over 500 in NFL. And and Bob, you're cooking cooking all around. So 
we thought it was fade the shade. It'll still be titled fade the shade, but maybe maybe some opportunities out there. Let's move over to college. Um, a lot of good action. Before we do that, yeah. before okay. we do that, sure. Can, can we jump in about the guy in Indianapolis? Oh yeah, how could I forget? We need a we need a little Wentz watch. He played on two bum ankles on Sunday against Tennessee. They lost 25-16. Didn't sound like a performance to remember uh, for number two. But, Bomb, you brought it up. What do you got? Well, I think the, 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 um, the story of the weekend wasn't the fact that he played or didn't play or they lost or they didn't lose. Um, you know, I, I had the dynamic bet, right? If he played, I was on the Titans. If he didn't play, I was on the Colts. He played, I was on the Titans. That paid out. The story of the weekend, though, isn't the result. We knew the result going in. This guy's a bum. The story of the weekend was Jim Irsay getting all liquored up down in Nashville, singing songs and hanging out with his people, and then, like, getting so tooted that he he literally talks for two minutes about this case of buyer's remorse that he has, saying that his Carson Wentz's M.O. is that he's not healthy. Well, you know, he is respected in the locker room. He's a great leader, but he's not healthy. And also, he's unvaccinated. And while we respect his choice, I can't depend on the guy. So, I mean, talk about just a total case of buyer's remorse from the guy who owns the team. And you can't help but wonder, Ballard and Reich, like, are, are these guys on the hot seat? We, we, we did talk earlier in the year about how they negotiated their contracts before Wentz even took a snap. So don't be surprised if these guys cut bait quick, end of the year, you know, uh, Cup day, whatever it is next year, depending upon the contract. I mean, there's a clear case of buyer's remorse here from Jim Irsay and the Colts. It's tough to see. Not uh, not that shocking, though. But things are really bad in Indy, and Irsay's got buyer's remorse. Well, I'll tell you who's got seller's remorse. The Wisconsin Badgers letting Jack Cohn go to Notre Dame. Uh, not that he was really a factor on Saturday, but I watched that game more than I watched the Penn State game on Saturday. Notre Dame, Wisconsin at Soldier Field in Chicago. Notre Dame got a big win. I don't know what the score was, 41-24 or something like that. I don't know. It, it was it was not a close game. Um, but I will say that kid Mertz on Wisconsin, <laughs> their highest graded quarterback recruit in program history. Is he a four-star? I don't know what he is. I'll tell you what he is. He's a bum. That kid stinks. He's so bad, and that team is so bad. He had a lot of opportunities in that game to hit guys on, you know, little play action, out routes and whatnot, and he just refused to throw the ball. Just another guy with no confidence, and really, I thought Wisconsin was going to win the game going into it, had a bye week, correct some things, and I'm not impressed with Notre Dame, but – uh, I'm totally out on Wisconsin. They're not contending for the Big Ten West. They're not contending for anything, not as long as that kid is playing quarterback because he is so bad. As far when you as say Mertz stunk, you know what else stunk about that game? My pick? The line. Notre Dame was a seven-point dog. That made no sense. Yeah, it didn't make much sense. I mean – after watching the game, it didn't make any sense, that's for sure. But but going into it, I thought I thought it was big. I, I thought it was too big. So I was like, do they know something we don't know? And Wisconsin's gonna blow them out. Clearly wasn't the case. You were on the right side. You were on out you were on outright. Not only on the right side, money line, baby. Good pick, man. That was awesome. But Jack Cohn wasn't overly impressive either. He got dinged up in the game, and Notre Dame had to bring in their third string quarterback. Don't know the kid's name. Believe he wears number 10. He came in and started marching him right down the field. He played pretty well. But Notre Dame's second stringer was out for, for some reason. And the best quarterback on the field in, in Chicago on Saturday was Notre Dame's third stringer. So really bizarre, but just goes to show kind of how poor Wisconsin does at the quarterback position to have Cone. He's gone. He still stinks. Have Mertz. He's even worse. And Notre Dame's got a third stringer that's that looks better than them both. Um, another takeaway from that game was Brian Kelly winning his coach in Notre Dame history. Like, did I hear that right? 
Yeah, I mean, he's been there for so long. And, uh, you know, normally Notre Dame just churns through coaches, uh, at least in, in modern history, whether it's Ty Willingham, um, some of the others, Charlie Weiss. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, he's, he's, he's stuck around. He's got the support of the AD. He's, you know, not that I can say he's turned around the program, but he's made a lot of changes to the program, recruiting a different a different caliber kid, um, putting turf in on the field where normally they, they grow it out. So clearly he's got some staying power. I don't get what it is. I think the guy is not a championship caliber coach whatsoever. But, you know, say what you want about him. At least he's won, I guess, consistently. Uh, I don't know that that's good enough at Notre Dame, though. Right, and you look at Notre Dame, and they're supposed to be this prestigious program, and they're they're like the Dallas Cowboys of, of college football. Everybody that doesn't have a team just roots for them, and they watched Rudy, and they have their Notre Dame starter jacket from their childhood and all this bullshit. But if you look at Brian Kelly, and you look at Notre Dame, apparently this elite, prestigious program, and Brian Kelly is your most winning – is your – is it most winningest? Winningest coach? Winningest. I, yeah, grammar, grammar police, so I'm like, um, I need some help. But, yeah, Brian Kelly's the winningest coach at Notre Dame at, at, for, for that program. That's kind of that's kind of sad because I, I don't, well, who, who's, I don't um, he's, he's a great coach. Who's Penn State's winningest coach? You, you, you're really going to go there right now? I mean, it depends. What number are you going? Are you going off the 409 or are you going off the 298? Or what are we – how does Penn State calculate it? Any idea? Look, man, you know that I'm not a – a Joe Pa honk or an apologist or a four oh niner. I'm not a four oh niner man. So let's let's just leave it at that. Um <laughs> what else happened in college football this weekend? Clemson. Well took let's an talk L. about can we talk about Brian Kelly's old school? Where was he at? Bearcats? Cincinnati? Cincy coming off the bye this week at Notre Dame. Oh you're just, you're looking forward already. Oh, I'm looking forward. We'll talk about it later in the week, but I just want to say, watch out. Watch out. Big game. Huge game. That should be a good one. Um, but, yeah, I was going to say Clemson took an L. Looks like their playoff hopes are completely squashed, and the playoff hopes of the ACC are, are completely squashed, it looks like. I think you called that one preseason bomb, so good on you. Um just kind of surprising. Can't say I've really watched a ton of Clemson so far this year, but that's a uh, that's a pretty big fall from from what they've been uh, for the past four or five years, I guess. Yeah, they stink. That was, I mean, that was a, I mean, NC State their kicker missed like three field goals, and they still they still pulled it out. ACC is is terrible. I mean, I I gave a pick here early in the year. I said take take over seven wins, pit Panthers. They might win the ACC. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, it's wide open right now. So we'll see. Uh, another game I took a, a good look at on on Saturday was are you the Rocker Scarlet Knights? And Michigan uh, looked like it was going to get a little hairy in that first half. I'm out having a few pops and uh, worrying about my plus 20 wager. But Rutgers got it together at half and shut it down on defense and, and moved the ball up and down the field on offense. It was pretty impressive. Um, so, so solid performance there, even though they took the L. Beating Rutgers by three just reaffirms that Michigan stinks, as always. What else happened in college? Arkansas got, got a big win over A&M. Uh, they skyrocketed up the, the AP rankings, and I, I think they played Georgia this weekend, eight, eight versus two. That's a huge game. And then the last game of the night that I watched Saturday was Oklahoma-West Virginia. Oh, dude. Sorry, Bomb. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take my flowers on this one. I gave out okay. West Virginia. But uh, how about uh, – what's his name? Spencer Radler. They were chanting – for the backup, like the whole entire game. And, and Oklahoma still won, but they looked horrible. And I don't know what West Virginia is. I think they're just kind of the middle of the road or, you know, top third team in, in the Big 12. But to have, have the home faithful chanting for the backup for, 
against the guy that's your quarterback's like the preseason Heisman favorite. It's pretty crazy. And I think Herb Street was on the call and he was saying how, oh, how could the fans do this? And everybody's feeling bad for Spencer Radler. Well, little did I know. I got some intel on Sunday from a from a friend. This guy might be the cockiest MFer on the planet, dude. There's a video of him in high school with his teammates, and he's just completely shitting on them the whole time. Like, oh, you got to catch that. You got to do this. You got to do that. And his teammates are giving it back to him. Well, Spencer, you've never thrown a bad ball, and you think you're the best just because you went to Elite 11 and all this shit. And he's and he's just relentless, like not apologetic, not agreeing to disagree. He's just ripping his, his, his friends or his teammates in high school. And I saw that, and I was like, yeah, I don't feel bad for this kid whatsoever. How much of that do you think is engineered? Like, I watched it, and it was like, what was it, a three-minute video, right? I think so. And I'm like, by by about a minute 30, I was like, I'm getting really uncomfortable right now watching this. A little secondhand embarrassment. Yeah, like, it was, it was really, I mean, <laughs> accusatory of his teammates. Now, how much of that is, like, a guy who's, Maybe a young kid trying to kind of show that he's got leadership attributes in front of a camera and it comes off totally the wrong way because you're hamming it up. I, I don't know. I'm not going to crucify the kid for that at whatever age. But if that's how he's acting in Oklahoma, I can see why the student body is chanting for the backup. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I, I see your point there. And he could have been young. And we all we all learn and, and grow in time and whatnot. But. That that rubbed me the wrong way. I mean, we we get after each other and talk shop and talk shit and whatever, but it, it always comes to a point where we shake hands or call it quits. And yeah, and when we're out on the golf course and I call you a bum, it's coming from another bum. Like you can't call a guy a bum when you're like a, a national like top player. Like you you just can't do that. Takes you're a one bum. Hell on. Yeah, real recognize real bum recognize bum. <laughs> I like that. But yeah, a lot of chaos in, in college football. I think there's only two like deadbeat top tier teams right now, and it's Alabama and Georgia. Um Penn State moves up to four in the AP ranking after beating Villanova. And they didn't cover. Heard heard a little bit about that from some folks, and I don't really care that much. Like, up. It doesn't matter. They they were playing third and fourth stringers by the fourth quarter. So not much to make of that game. I, I don't know how you move up two spots after a win like that, though. Just r- really weird. Um, but a little concerned after Wisconsin's performance on Saturday and also the performance of Auburn. They were given a good scare and a good run by Georgia State. Now, who the hell is Georgia State? Well, they were beating Auburn, I believe, into the fourth quarter, and Auburn pulled out the win. Um, but looked like two marquee top twenty-five wins for for the Nits early on, and who knows who knows how long Auburn and, and Wisconsin are looked at as as good wins. I mean, Wisconsin, I don't think can be anymore, and maybe Auburn just had a weird week, a one-off. Who the hell knows? But just. It feels wrong to look at State being number four. I mean, we'll take it, and I don't think there's a lot of a lot of teams out there deserving of that that high of a ranking right now. But between the the two wins and the performance of of those two teams this week, and then I'm looking at I'm watching the game Saturday, and we're playing an FCS team, Villanova. We can't even push them off the ball. We can't even run the football down their throat. Like you would think, a good team playing a, a super an inferior opponent could just line up, get your five big linemen, push them off the ball, run it down the field, run it down the field. Do what Dallas did to the Eagles last night. Like, just do that. Run run 10 or 15 plays all day, get a huge lead and call it a day. But Clifford lit it up, Washington, Dotson, all good stuff. But if they don't have balance in these Big Ten games, they're, they're going to slip, and they they won't be – they won't be at the top for long, so they got they got to find some balance. I mean, I feel like you're already looking for an out with Penn State. I mean, you got to remember. I mean, Villanova probably had a big speech from Jay Wright in the locker room about like attitude and catitude and this and that. So those guys were coming out fired up. V's were up, you know, ready to play the boys. 
Um, Come on, man. They're, they're, they're getting on that bus, and the university's counting that check from Penn State, and they're going home Saturday and, and partying and, and moving on to their FCS schedule. Like, they're not catted up. I mean, I guess you could say it's it's their Super Bowl and their one big shot on the big stage, but come on, dude. <laughs> if you're if you're Penn State and you want to be elite, beat the brakes off of them. Show it. Well, at least they didn't have a linebacker quit mid game, right? Yeah, like like our friends but the Buckeyes. That was that was crazy. And then he was right on Twitter right after. <laughs> that was awesome. Like that was incredible. Yeah, I, I didn't see it. I saw the tweet and, and heard the news, but I didn't I didn't see any any footage of him like running off the field or anything. So I have to check that out. But, I mean, you know, with these name, image, and likeness deals, like I don't know if this guy like totally blew up his brand, but if I'm the University of Michigan, like I'm I'm gonna have this guy as like a sponsored athlete from Ohio State or like an ex sponsored athlete. Like, how do we get this guy in like a Michigan shirt trolling his former team? That's what I would do. Yeah, the social media team at, at Michigan will have to get on that, but that that would be the ultimate troll job. That's good stuff. But, yeah, that's that's about all I got on the college front. Penn State home Saturday night against Indiana, and uh, hopefully they can stay unscathed. And I was got Maryland Friday night at Maryland. I think they're only like a three-point favorite, so – might not be as easy as everybody thinks. So hoping that both teams come away on skis so that we have a big matchup in a couple weeks here. Um, anything else for you, Bomb, on college football? Nothing. Looking forward to next week. Looking forward to uh, the episode later in the week, getting the picks in. And uh, I'll be crunching numbers. I'll be reviewing quarterbacks' Instagrams. I told you a couple weeks ago Bo Nix was a bum. I told you that he was uh, pimping chicken sandwiches from Bojangles instead of reading the the playbook, and he got yanked at the end of the last game. Uh, he's done. He's out. So I'll be doing more research. Uh, rest assured that we'll have more winners later in the week. And, uh, yeah, no, thanks thanks for your time, Jay. Thank you for your time. appreciate it, man. And we'll through 10 eps. We'll bring you 11 probably Friday morning with some picks. I'm going to give a bonus pick right now, though, because I, I like a song on Thursday night. Jacksonville and Cincinnati. I think Jacksonville's getting seven and a half. Give me the Jags. Seven and a half. I'm not touching that game. Yeah, that Thursday night game last week was so brutal to watch. Like, they put the worst games on Thursday night. It's really not worth betting or worth watching. But after four days of the work week, you're scrapping and clawing for anything at that point. So if you want to watch and you want to bet and you want to back me, hop on the Jags and – if you want to fade the shade since he's your play, but I think that'll just about do it for episode 10. And uh, thanks everybody for listening. Thanks for, for sticking with us and the support. If you like the show, tell a friend, tell your uncle, tell your dad and uh, follow us on Instagram. Maybe throw us a, a subscribe on your, your favorite podcast uh, app and we'll talk to you later in the week.